All right, well, good morning. Good to see you guys here this morning. Thank you, Jakku, for stepping up and leading us. Uh, Scott is, what he told me was like chest deep in cold water right now, hunting ducks. Uh, so that is where he is at. So we appreciate Jakku for stepping up and leading us this morning in worship. This morning, we are in the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 4 is where we are at this morning. Uh, We are finishing the book of Jonah this morning. And if you remember, we've been working through this text. And so today we have reached the end. Jonah chapter 4. Don't resent God's grace and mercy. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Don't resent God's grace and God's mercy. We're going to read through uh, the text as we kind of go through the message this morning. And so if you go to the Lord with me in prayer, uh, we'll do that. Then we'll dive in to today's message. God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity to gather together uh, as your church, Lord, to sing songs of praise to you, Lord, to hear your scripture read, God, and Lord, now to hear the preached word. And God, as we open Your Word, as we hear from You, God, from Your text, may You convict and encourage us, God. May You teach us, Lord. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're going to talk about something that all Christians may have experienced at one time or another in their life, and that is resentment, specifically resentment towards God. Now, you may be thinking, well, well, how could that that ever be? I mean, how could I ever resent God? Well, Colin Smith in his book on Jonah navigating a God-centered life answers that question when he says this, there is a particular darkness that sometimes comes to those who work hardest in the Lord's service. Resentment towards God is the special temptation of mature believers who serve Him well. Most pastors and missionaries know about this. The more you do for God, the easier it is to feel that God owes you. So if you stretch yourself out in serving God, don't be surprised when this strange darkness sneaks up on you. You will encounter this trial and you will need to know how to deal with it. And I believe Colin Smith is right. Resentment can sneak up on us like darkness, especially if we are faithfully serving the Lord. And so we need to know how to deal with resentment when it shows up. And that's where Jonah comes in. Now, if you remember uh, back to the beginning of the book, God, he came to Jonah and he asked Jonah to go and to preach to the Ninevites. And and ordinarily you would think, well, this is not a a big deal at all. I mean, Jonah is a prophet. It is his job to preach. And so he would just ordinarily go to Nineveh and he would preach the message that God wanted him to preach. But if you remember, the Ninevites are enemies of Israel and God did not want to see the Ninevites turn to him. Or Jonah didn't want to see the Ninevites turn to God, excuse me. But so he decides, hey, I'm going to board this ship and I'm going to get as far away from Nineveh as possible. I am going to go to Tarshish, which is like the end of the world at this time. But the Lord wasn't having that, right? I mean, he sends this huge storm. He puts this massive block in in his way so he can't get away. and, And he ends up in a sea, in the sea. The sea calms, and so the sailors in the boat whom he was traveling with, they are all saved. But Jonah, he's sinking down to the bottom of the sea. 
He's about to die. And then miraculously, this huge fish comes and swallows Jonah up. Three days, three nights, he spends in the belly of this fish before he is vomited out on dry land. But that wasn't the end of of Jonah's journey. God comes to Jonah a second time and he says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach to the Ninevites. Now stuck between a rock and a hard place, Jonah agrees. I mean, could you imagine Jonah saying no at this point? I mean, he's already tried to escape. A massive, massive sea has come against him. He's spent some time in the belly of a fish. I mean, could you imagine Jonah saying no? And so he goes. He goes and he preaches. And if you remember, the entire city ends up believing. The entire city. And that's where we pick up today. Jonah has just witnessed God relenting his disaster on the city of Nineveh because they repented at his one-line sermon. In a moment of anger, God resent, I mean, Jonah resents God because of his grace. In verse 2, Jonah prays to the Lord saying, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Clearly, Jonah's emotions are out of control. Jonah is absolutely angry at God because he feels that he has been treated unfairly, all because God did the miraculous. God saved an entire city who was about to face his wrath. If you think about it, this is a quite a peculiar reaction on, on Jonah's behalf. I mean, imagine going on a mission trip. You and another guy, you are the support and the other guy is, is the preacher. And you happen upon this village one night and this guy, he just, he preaches this amazing message. And you see the entire village come to faith in Christ. But then to your shock and and amazement, instead of of the preacher praising God for what just happened, instead of praising God for using him as his instrument to save these people, he begins to shout angrily at God as if he has been mistreated. And that's what Jonah's doing right now. Instead of praising the Lord for what he had just saw, Jonah complains. Instead of being ecstatic, Jonah is angry. Instead of worshiping, Jonah is actually hurt. Jonah's reaction, his attitude, it reminds me of the church, Westboro Baptist Church. You know, the folks who are consistently going and they are, they are picketing other places, picketing other churches, spewing hate. Sure, they're calling people to repent, but it doesn't seem as if they actually really want anybody to repent. Instead, it appears that what they want to do is just use God and his message as a bully pulpit, as a weapon against their enemy. And that's exactly what Jonah wanted, right? He wanted to use God as a weapon against his enemies. And he thought that God owed him because he was his faithful servant. Because he had been faithful for all these years. Because he was connected to God's people, Israel. And when God took that weapon away, Jonah was hurt. And Jonah was angry. So much so, in fact, that he could not rejoice. He could not praise God. He couldn't be happy for the Ninevites. Now, I I know what you're thinking, right? I mean, Jonah, I mean, 
You, you, just, you just saw this amazing thing happen. I mean, what is, what is the deal? I mean, God just worked through you to save this entire city. This is, the, this is the highlight of your ministry. You should be praising God for what just happened. But before we're too hard on Jonah and think that, that we would never react in, in the way that, that Jonah has reacted, consider for a moment the emotions that you might feel if a terrorist suddenly repented and turned to the Lord. On the one hand, I mean, you're going to be happy because that means that there's going to be an end to their, their reign of terror. But on the other hand, you might feel as if they did not get what they deserved. After all, the people that they have killed, after all of the terror that they have put on the world, they're not getting what they deserve. Or maybe we bring it a little bit closer to home. Consider what you might think if someone in your family was, was brutally murdered. The person was caught, they were convicted, they were put on death row. But before the execution could be carried out, that person comes to faith in Christ. They come to know the Lord and they are truly saved. How would you react? I mean, would you find it hard to rejoice with them? Would you find it hard to praise God for, for saving another soul from, from the fires of hell? Would you be upset because you didn't feel like true justice occurred? Or consider another scenario, one that comes up in the story of the prodigal son. If you remember a father, he had two sons. He had an older son and a younger son, and the younger son comes to him and he says, Dad, I want my inheritance now, which is like unheard of. I mean, could you imagine one of your sons or your daughters coming to you and saying, look, I, I don't care that, that you haven't died yet. Um, I know that you have a will and I know that I'm in that will and I know exactly how much you are going to give me. And I want that today. It'd be pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing back then as well. And this father agrees, which is even more amazing. And so he, he gives his son his inheritance. And after his son liquidates everything, he's got cash in his pocket, he travels to another country, another city, and he begins to live the high life. He's partying every night. He has all of these friends who are surrounding him. That is until his money runs out. And when his money runs out, he has no friends. Nobody wants to hang out with him anymore at all. And he finds himself as an Israelite feeding pigs and eating pig food. And he thinks to himself, look, even the servants in my father's house have it better than I do. Can I just go back to him and maybe, just maybe he will have me back as a servant. And I'll have a warm bed and I'll have some food. I won't be out here with pigs eating pig food. And he, and he goes back and he's got this speech and he's rehearsing this speech, exactly what he's going to say to his father when he sees his father. But his father is there on the porch. He's watching for his son, and he sees his son coming. And his father begins to run to his son, which is like unheard of back in the day. He, he runs to his son, and instead of getting to his son and like smacking him in the face or something like that, he embraces him, and he won't even let him give his speech. And he invites him back into his house, not as a servant, but as his son. Once again, he is restored. And then he takes it a step further. He throws a party for his son. And you know who can't come to the party? 
You know who is upset, who can't celebrate? The older brother. The older brother sees all that has happened. The older brother has been there faithfully serving his father since day one. The older brother didn't take his inheritance and run off and squander it. The older brother did not bring shame on their family and offend their father. He has been faithfully serving his father every single day. And his father has yet to throw in a party to celebrate his faithful service, but he's throwing a party for his brother. And he can't come in and he can't celebrate because he thought that his father owed him and he resented his father. You see, if we're not careful, we end up being like the older brother. We end up resenting the father because we think the father owes us. Maybe we believe that the Father owes us recognition for our faithful service or wealth and and prosperity or an easy life or an easy marriage or kids who obey. And when we don't get those things, we resent God. We resent God because after all, we've been faithful all these years. He should give us what we deserve, we think. But when we act that way, we show that we misunderstand the gospel just like the older brother misunderstood the gospel. Just like Jonah misunderstood the gospel. You see, the older brother, Jonah, had the idea that the father's acceptance and praise was earned instead of being freely given. That's why he got upset when he didn't receive the praise and that he deserved, that he felt like he deserved. And when his brother was accepted back into his father's arms without any sort of penalty. But if he had it wronged, and we have it wrong. If we, he had it wrong and we have it wrong if we think that God's grace is earned. See, God's grace is not earned. God's grace is freely given to us. And it's crucial we know that, that God's grace is not earned. Because if we believe that God's grace is earned, we will also believe that God owes us for faithfully serving Him. And when God does not pay up, then we're going to end up resenting God. As well as if we believe that God's grace is earned, we won't be able to celebrate when someone we believe who, who, doesn't, who, we, who we don't believe deserves God's grace gets God's grace. We won't be able to celebrate with them. And so it's crucial that we understand that God's grace is freely given and it is given to those who don't deserve it. And that's you and that's me and that's everybody else who has been saved by the blood of Jesus. Nobody deserves it. It has been freely given to us. You see, if we don't understand that, then we are going to act like Jonah. We're going to act like the older brother. We're going to resent God when God does not give us that which we think we are owed for our faithful service. And here's the odd thing. The more we faithfully serve, the greater the temptation becomes to resent God for not giving us what we think we are owed for faithfully serving him. But that's not how it works. God does not owe us for serving him. Instead, we have to think about it in the sense that that we get to serve God because of God's grace and mercy. I mean, think about it. God takes those people who who are sinners, those people who are absolute enemies of God, who want nothing more than to to storm his throne room, to take him off of his throne there and sit there ourselves. And God comes. Jesus dies for us. Jesus spills his blood on our behalf. 
Then the Spirit comes and He works in our life to to help us to see that we are sinners, that, that we need Jesus, and we experience salvation when we believe in Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. And then God takes us, people who are inadequate, and He uses us to actually go out and minister to other people to present the gospel to other people, to encourage other people, to to help equip other people to do the work of ministry. God uses us as his instruments to accomplish his purpose in this world. I mean, how amazing is that? That God would, would take a completely undeserving people, transform them, and then use them to serve him. That's the power of the gospel. And so instead of thinking that God owes us for for serving him, we should praise and worship God for extending his grace and mercy to us and then using us in his service. And that's the point that Jonah doesn't get. He doesn't get that it's by God's grace and mercy that, that he is there in Nineveh serving the Lord. And because he doesn't get that, he resents God for not giving him what he thinks he is owed And we know that's what Jonah thinks because this is exactly what he says in verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah feels so mistreated. Jonah feels so wronged by the Lord that he thinks, I don't even want to live anymore. You did not give me what I wanted. Just, Just end it all, God. End it all. But thankfully, God is not in the business of assisted suicide. And say, God's in the business of extending grace and mercy. And that's exactly what he does. Instead of killing Jonah, God shows Jonah he is in the position that he is in because of his grace and his mercy. And to show Jonah that, God puts his grace and his mercy on display. And God puts his grace and mercy on display by pointing out sin. In verse 4, God comes to Jonah and he says, do you do well to be angry? In other words, God asks Jonah, what right do you have at being angry at me for saving the Ninevites? And do you see what God is doing here? I mean, he is pointing out Jonah's sin. He is revealing his, his heart. And this isn't the first time that God has pointed out the sin of, of someone else in, in Scripture. Think all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, there's a story about Cain and Abel who are Adam and Eve's son. And they bring an offering to the Lord, a a sacrifice to to worship Him. And God, He accepts Abel's offering, but He doesn't accept Cain's offering. And Cain gets angry. He gets mad. He gets upset. And God, seeing Cain's anger, comes to him in Genesis chapter 4. Verses 6 and 7, he says, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. You see, God is extending his grace and mercy to Cain by by pointing out his sin and by telling him exactly what this sin is going to do and what it's going to lead to if he doesn't deal with it. It's going to lead to the sin mastering him and controlling him. If you continue through the rest of the story, you realize that Cain does not heed God's command. He doesn't heed his encouragement. No, he ends up killing his brother because he's so angry that his brother got what he thought that he deserved. 
And he kills him. And God comes and he banishes him out of his sight forever. I'd like to think that God's words to Jonah would have been a connection back to, to this story. It would, have, it would have connected Jonah back to Cain and Abel to help him to see how he, might, or how he must respond to the message that God is delivering to him. Hopefully it connects back for us as well. You see, when God points out sin, it is an act of grace and mercy. God could have left Jonah there. He could have left him just to stew in his sin, but he doesn't. Instead, he extends his grace and his mercy by pointing out Jonah's sin. And God could allow us to stew in our sin as well, but he doesn't. He brings other people in our life to point out our sin as well. So the next time that your spouse, your neighbor, your coworker, or a friend points out your sin, well, what you should do is you should praise God for his grace and his mercy instead of getting mad at that person. The next time you're reading a book and God uses the words of that author to point out sin in your life, you should praise God for the words that this author has written and how God has used him to point this sin out in your life instead of throwing the book down and just stop reading it. The next time you are listening to a song or a sermon and God uses that song or that sermon to point out sin in your life, Know that that is his grace and his mercy. And instead of tuning it out or turning it off, we should praise God for extending his grace and his mercy to us. You see, our God is a gracious and merciful God and he puts his mercy on display when he points out our sin. And while we should praise God for his grace and mercy and point in our sin, we don't always react that way, do we? Most of the time, we... We get mad. We end up resisting God's correction, just like Jonah. And so, thankfully, God puts His grace and mercy on display by extending patience. You see, mad and resisting God's correction, verse 5, Jonah went out of the city. He sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. It's kind of this makeshift shelter. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now, why did Jonah do that? Well, because he thought that, that the Ninevites were bound to mess up. I mean, they had, yes, yeah, sure, they, they had repented, that God had relented, but, but soon, very soon, these people are evil people. They are going to mess up. God's going to realize, man, I should have destroyed them. And Jonah's going to have a front row seat for God raining out his wrath on the city. And he was going to be able to look to God and say, God, I told you so. I can't believe you would save these evil people. I told you so. Look at what they are doing now. Now's time to rain your wrath on them. And what does God do? Well, he puts his grace and mercy on display by exercising patience with Jonah. And thankfully, God is also patient with us, with us because we are no different than Jonah. We resist God's correction as well. You after college, I lived in Atlanta for a short time before moving to Dallas. And, and one of my childhood friends, Barrett, he, he lived there as well. And, and uh, we, we grew up together. We went to school together. We even played on the same Little League baseball team together. And now we find ourselves living in Atlanta, but on different sides of the city. And so we would get together once a week. His dad was an operator of, of Chick-fil-A, and so he had all these free Chick-fil-A coupons. And so we would, we would meet at Chick-fil-A by this LA Fitness that we would go work out at. And we would have, uh, you know, some, 
some good Chick-fil-A, right? Fried food before we went to go work out, but, but we would oftentimes get the charbroiled, right? Because we're about to go work out. So we got to be a little more, a little more healthy. And before we would work out, we would always spend some time together having a meal. And during this time in my life, you know, I certainly wasn't living how the Lord would, would want me to live. I'd gotten caught up in, in the party scene and I was hanging out with all the wrong people and my friend Barrett knew this. And so every week we would gather together at Chick-fil-A and every week Barrett would, would talk to me about what's going on in my life and, and why am I running away from the Lord and all of this. And he would do it in a very gracious way. And every week I would say, man, you're right, Barrett. You're right. And then the next week I'd do the same thing. And so the next week we'd have the same conversation like every week over and over and over we would have the same conversation. Barrett was very patient with me through all this time, but the Lord was patient as well. He extended his grace and his mercy to me through my friend. You see, God puts his grace and mercy on display when he's patient with us. And as we continue in the narrative, we also see that God is not only patient with us and he's not only patient with Jonah, and even though he is patient with us and patient with Jonah, sometimes we don't repent like Jonah didn't repent immediately. And so what God does is he comes and he puts his grace and mercy on display by orchestrating events that point out our sin. By now, Jonah, he's good and settled into this makeshift shelter. But that shelter doesn't last for long. You know, the shelter is just made out of a bunch of branches. And so eventually these branches end up withering. And that leaves Jonah, you know, right there to face the harsh sun of the desert. And Assyria is much like Red Oak in the middle of August, right? It's like 110 degrees. The sun is bearing down. Jonah has no shelter at all. I mean, imagine just going, sitting out in this parking lot in the middle of August, in the middle of the day, that's how Jonah's feeling right now. He's sweating bullets. He's like, man, this is terrible. This isn't going like it's supposed to be going, right? Nineveh should have messed up by now. I should have seen God rain down his wrath on them. I should be, you know, out of here by now. But, but here I am. And as the last leaves fell dead around him, Jonah is baking there in this noonday sun. But God in his grace and mercy, he, he intervenes. In verse 6, we learn that the Lord God had appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. And so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So God, God gives this guy who is like mad at him, who is resenting him at this moment, some shade. But to teach Jonah another lesson, God takes this shade from him. Just a a verse later, in verse 7, we learn that when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And so God, he, he takes this shade away from Jonah. I mean, I can imagine Jonah's like, okay, God, we're on the same page now. You, my shelter's gone, but now I got this shade and you gave it to me. And then the next day, is, it's gone. It's taken from him. But that's not all that God did. In verse 8, we learn that God made the desert hotter. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. And so Jonah, he not only faced this hot Assyrian sun, but, but now the desert is, is hotter. I mean, he, he has not much to drink. 
the, the, the moisture is being sucked out of the air. It's probably being sucked right out of him. He's sitting there with the sun beating down on him, this hot east wind blowing on him. Jonah is miserable, so miserable that he asks God to take his life again. But remember, God's not in the business of assisted suicide. And so God doesn't take his life. Instead, he reveals the situation to Jonah. He reveals his sin once more. Starting in verse 9, God says, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? I mean, you see what, what God's doing. He's trying to get Jonah to see, look, man, you are being absolutely selfish. You only want what is good for you and not good for anybody else. And he does that by orchestrating this event in, in Jonah's life, which he then uses to point out Jonah's sin. Now, it's hard for me to tell you exactly how God is going to do this in, in your life. It's really one of those things that, that you've got to discover after the fact. But, but I know that God orchestrates events in people's lives in order to point out their sin and bring them out of these situations because God has, has done that in my life. As I mentioned earlier, when I lived in Atlanta, you know, I was certainly living contrary to the Lord. And, and God, he, he orchestrated this situation to kind of remove me out of that. You see, all, all, the, all my friends that I hung out with, everybody that I knew, they, they were the ones who were influencing me. And so I tried the best to get out of that situation, but it just, it didn't work. And so God, through the job that I was at, uh, orchestrates this event where I moved to Dallas, right? I'd only been working at this company for six months, but the owners of the company come and they say, hey, we want you, along with a couple other people, to go and open up a satellite office in Dallas. And so I, I said, yeah, I'll go and I'll, I'll do that. And when you move to a new city, you meet new people. Um, and I thought, man, I've got to, I've got to get some better influence around me. And so I ended up going to First Baptist Dallas after a few weeks that I lived in Dallas and I ended up meeting some good Christian friends there and ended up hanging out with them and and uh, the Lord utilized that situation to help draw me out and, and back to himself so that now I was serving him and I was worshiping him with not just on Sunday but with my whole life and that made a huge difference in my life and looking back I know that that God orchestrated this event in my life point out my sin and to help in his grace and his mercy draw me out of that sin. I mean, there was, wasn't qualified to go and, and help open up a satellite office. I'd only been working in that company for six months. But the, Lord, but the Lord used me and the Lord moved me so that he might draw me out of the situation that I had found myself in. And the Lord does that. The Lord puts his grace and his mercy on display when he orchestrates events in our life and then he uses those events to, to point on our sin and to draw us out of the sin that we find ourselves in. And God, like this, a God of grace and mercy is not a God that, that we should resent. This is not a God that we should think, man, he owes me. 
He owes me. He, he should do what I want him to do. He should give me what I want him to give me. See, God has already given us everything and more. Our God is a God of, of grace and, and mercy. You know, when you look at the end of, of Jonah, it just, it just ends, right? I mean, he asked the question, and should I not pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand. And that's it. You turn the page and there's nothing else. And so you wonder, well, what is happening here? Well, this book is, is laying this out on your life as well. It's laying this question before Jonah, what are you going to do? Are you going to recognize my grace and my mercy? It's laying it out before us. Are you going to recognize that I am a God of grace and I'm a God of mercy? Or will you think that I owe you? Will you resent me when I don't give you what you think you are owed by me? How will we respond to God's grace and God's mercy? When you see God's grace and mercy on display, will you Resent God because He saves someone you don't believe is worthy to be saved. When God uses circumstances and people to point out sin in your life, will you repent and turn thanking the Lord for His grace and mercy or will you get mad at that person? When you recognize God's work in your life, His abundant grace and His mercy being showered out on you, will you praise God and worship Him or will you just take Him for granted? You see, our God is a God of grace and mercy. So how will you respond to God's grace and God's mercy today? That's the question that's, that's posed to, to both those who would call themselves believers and those who would, who would say, I, I, don't, I don't believe in Jesus. How will we respond to God's grace and mercy? Will we worship and, and praise Him? Or will we take Him for granted? Will we think that He owes us? Or will we be thankful that He uses us? And if we haven't come to Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior, will we walk away from God's grace and His mercy? Or will we turn and will we believe in Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior and accept God's grace and mercy into our life? And that was an opportunity for us to respond to this message, both those who are believers and those who are non-believers. As believers, we should respond by, by praising and, and worshiping the Lord and seeing the unique position in which we are in. If you call yourself a non-believer today, you respond by believing in God's grace and God's mercy, by turning and submitting your life to Jesus. If you're not ready to do that today, but you've got questions, I mean, I'd be happy to, to meet with you. I'd be happy to talk with you after the service. You know, Ryan and I would count it a privilege to be able to gather together with you and answer any questions that you might have. So you can find us after the service, and we'd be happy to set up a time to do that. See, our God is a God of grace and mercy. How will you respond to God's grace and mercy today? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we come to you thankful, Lord, for the work that you do in our life. Thankful for your grace and your mercy, God. Thankful for your patience with us. Thankful for your salvation. Lord, today we ask that you would help us to see that you are a God of grace 
and you're a God of mercy and we would praise you for that. And Lord, if someone here today or who's, not, who's watching who would admit that they are not a believer, Lord, we ask that they would, they would turn to you today, that they would see that you are a God of grace and you are a God of mercy, that you have sent their, your Son to die for them. They might experience salvation and forgiveness today, Lord. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.